Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm so glad to have everybody here to this podcast of Reinvent Yourself. And I have a great person today, Catherine Minchu, who is like multi-reinventor and so incredibly successful. She runs The Muse, which you've probably heard of, and it is one of the premier sites that offers job opportunities, skill building courses, coaching, and video profiles meant to show what it's like to work at different companies. They've raised millions of dollars, and she's provided a service for now it's 75 million people who are using the uh, the site on a regular basis. And she's one of those primary sites where you go to find out about a company and to find out about jobs and to get great business advice, how to prepare your, your resume, how to handle all the different aspects of your career. And though they tend to uh, lean a little bit younger, what she tells me is that about a third of her uh, users are 40 plus, and it is growing in that direction. So it's a great place to look if you're interested in reinvention, if you're re interested in reinventing yourself. And what's great is that Catherine has been a personal reinventor and has had wildly crazy reinventions that eventually led her to being her own entrepreneur. And I think you will really enjoy hearing about her. So here we go. So hello, Catherine. I'm so glad to have you here today. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And you have quite the reinvention story. So I think we'll start with that and then we'll get on to the muse and talk about how people can use that for reinvention as well. So talk a little bit about where you were born and then how you grew up and how you ended up at my alma mater, Dookie. <laughs> Not why I chose you. I don't only choose Dookies, but it does help. Love it. Um, well, yeah, I, I've had a bit of an eclectic background. Um, I was born in Dallas, Texas, oh. and lived there for the first 10 years of my life uh, and, and fully expected to be living there for a lot longer. My entire extended family is uh, is, is from Texas, lives in Texas, but um, I ended up uh, moving with my family first to Los Angeles for about nine months uh, for the fifth grade and then to Washington DC where I um, started the sixth grade and stayed until I graduated for, for or you know left high school for college. I then went to Duke, so uh, so you know, go Blue Devils, uh -huh. and um, I was convinced that I was going to major in political science and come out of college with a career in the Foreign Service or the CIA. That was my oh. dream. That was my goal. I made so many different you know steps and life decisions with that focus in mind, and then uh, somewhat luckily had the opportunity to work in a U.S. embassy in 2007 um, in Nicosia, Cyprus and realized that this dream I had of a foreign service career didn't really match the reality of the job. And it wasn't perhaps the best fit for me right away. And so I came back to the United States. I was, you know, in the way that only sort of 
22 year olds can be full of angst about my future. And I ended up taking a job in management consulting at McKinsey and Company and moving to New York City. And after a few years of that, I left New York, moved to Rwanda and worked oh. on the introduction of the HPV vaccine with the Clinton wow. Health Access Initiative uh -huh. um, and then made one more sort of left turn and moved back to New York and got involved in the technology industry and started uh, first a, a sort of project that became a company called PYP Media. And then based on the lessons from that, uh, I started The Muse, which I now run and which now employs over 120 people wow. and reaches 75 million users every year. So it's it's been a wild ride. <laughs> oh my God, incredible. Now you made so many of those transitions. First of all, CIA, what was that like a movie you saw and you thought this looks really cool? I want to do this, or was your family in the business? How did you think this? No Were you reading a lot of books? <laughs> yeah, you know, there was no family connection, but um, I joke sometimes that part of it was uh, inspired by the television show Alias. If you ever remember oh, that hilarious. show, Jennifer yes, Garner played this, you know, smart, badass, successful, phenomenal woman. And I loved her. I also loved Model United Nations, where you would sort of like faux debate uh, issues as if you were in the real United Nations. I was very good at that. And I enjoyed everything related to history and political science. Um, and, and, you know, I think I've always had a little bit of an interest in, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do something big. And so I think I just got this idea that working for the Foreign Service or the CIA would be this, you know, exciting, fascinating opportunity to affect sort of geopolitics on a global scale. I would learn foreign languages. I would live abroad. Um, and of <laughs> course, some of those things are true. And I, I have so much respect for people that that do that as a career. But right. luckily, once I got up close and personal to the job, I realized that, um, you know, it wasn't always a great fit um, with what I wanted to do. And, and that was, I think, a big wake up call. And, and honestly, it was part of the inspiration later on for The Muse, because it made me just get fascinated by how people choose the careers that they that they do and how they know whether they're still on the right path or whether it's time oh. to make change. What was the thing that made you say, this is not for me? Can you not keep a secret? I can't. <laughs> you know, I'm very good at keeping secrets when I need to, but I don't particularly enjoy it. I really love being able to share details about my life with other people and hear details about their lives. And so the secrecy was certainly a part of it. Um, but I think also, you know, there was just so many little things about the day in, day in experience, uh, day in, day out experience of working at the embassy that I just wasn't sure if that was really the right path for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as with most government agencies, um, you also, you know, very much need to start um, at the bottom and build up a career over mm -hmm. decades in many cases. And uh, even some of the people that I really respected that I worked with said, look, don't start here right after college, go work in the private sector for a few years. And if you're still passionate about this, come back. And I thought, um, you know, I thought that that seemed like good advice. And <laughs> it was hard, though, to let go of that dream I'd had of um, taking the foreign service exam or, wow. you know, passing the, the sort of polygraph and, um, and diving in. Wow. How did you end up at McKinsey then? What made you jump in? What made you interested in McKinsey? So funnily enough, I ended up at one of their info sessions because my best friend wanted to go and she didn't want to go alone. So it's as simple as that. She said, Hilarious. Hey, you know, they're, they're having a, an info session. Um, would you come with me? 
And uh, there was going to be free food at the info session. And as anybody <laughs> who knows me can tell you, I love free food, especially, you know, whatever, 21, 22-year-old me loved free food. Right. So, um, so I said, sure, I'll, I'll go with you. That'll be fun. And, you know, I'm always sort of happy to be the, the moral support. Everybody needs a wing woman or a, or a mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, friend at an event sometime. And I was just sort of interested by the stories that they were telling on stage, this idea that you could solve um, not only business problems, but in some cases, global problems using, um, you know, using a set of skills that they would teach you. Because right. as much as I obviously had, you know, aspirations of, of doing something sort of big and interesting, I was also cognizant of the fact that I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I was just graduating. There was mm-hmm. so much left to, to learn. And so I was really interested by the idea of joining an organization that had a very strong learning culture. Um, of course, you know, while there's so many good things about McKinsey, the um, the reality of working there wasn't exactly what I thought it would be going in either. Um, and mm-hmm. there was definitely some, some learnings there, but I did, I learned so much. And I think um, when you're early in your career, really any time in your career, but especially when you're making a big change or when you're new in a function um, or new to your career overall, I think prioritizing uh, learning as much as you can is mm-hmm. so important because it's also a time in your, you know, in your professional life when it's acceptable to just be a complete sponge and learn mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think, really lucky for me. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a it's a thing that I coach a lot of young people on is just use it as a learning experience. So, you know, I've run into, you know, kids who are like, you know, I just switched jobs and they're not doing it the way I do it and they don't like what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, this is your opportunity to go to them and say, hey, what can I do better that would fit your point of view better? Use it as learning. But it's funny, they don't jump to learning first, which I, I grew up jumping to learn sort of like that, using learning all the time. Yeah, I think it was something that I'm I'm really grateful for from my parents is, you know, they they always gave me this idea that mm. um, if, you know, if, if something terrible happens or something goes wrong, um, first and foremost, look for what you can learn from it. And frankly, it's not right. what you want to hear when something terrible happens or when you're frustrated. Right. And uh, certainly, um, you know, I, I didn't always love every day at that job. But I do think looking back, I can really appreciate how much I learned from it, even more than I could have appreciated it at the time, of course. And how the heck did you go from there to Rwanda? <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to get out of consulting but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. And first and foremost, Rwanda felt really far away. Um, I also was sort of, I, I thought I had this idea in my head, like, you know, I'm in my mid twenties. I don't have of any sort of serious um, attachments in terms of, you know, no mortgage, no children. I wasn't in a serious relationship. When else am I going to move to uh, you know, East Africa and work for six months <laughs> really? on something completely different from the rest of my life. And right. so um, I had been really interested in, I was interested at that point in starting a business, but I was also interested in potentially working overseas at a very sort of highly functioning uh, nonprofit or for-profit with a social impact. And I was sort of smart enough to think, well, if I start a business, I'm going to be in it for five to 10 plus years, but I could probably find someone who will let me do this um, sort of social impact or aid work on a shorter term basis. And so what I ended up doing was I actually approached a number of organizations with an offer. And it was, look, I will work for you 
um, effectively for free, but I'd love for you to cover my transportation and my basic kind of housing and food costs. And um, that was something I kind of came up with because, you know, I didn't want to lose money. Um, I had a small amount of savings and I didn't particularly want to deplete them uh, while doing this work. But I also understood that if I was asking for a six month job, um, you know, it was going to be really hard to convince someone to put a ton of resources into that. Most organizations wanted a two year commitment for salaried positions, oh. which I totally understood. So I thought, well, maybe someone will take me up on, on this offer. Um, and if not, you know, I haven't necessarily lost anything by pitching people on it. And luckily, the Clinton Health Access Initiative had just uh, received a sort of large um, grant and mandate to help increase access to vaccines across a number of countries, mostly in East Africa. And I'm fluent in French. And so they said, um, well, what if you you came to Rwanda and worked for us? Um, and I said, that sounds great. When's the when's the flight? Oh, that's so, uh, hilarious. so that was it was an incredible experience. And what were you doing? You were working on the HPV vaccine? Mm -hmm. So um, the government of Rwanda was, uh, I believe, the first uh, country in sub-Saharan Africa to roll out the HPV vaccine nationally. And so I was uh, part of a small team that was helping to ensure that all you know everything was um, sort of properly figured out for that launch. So it's a vaccine that needs to be kept in you know cold storage. How do we make sure mm. that the cold storage chain extends mm -hmm. throughout the country? Um, if we wanted to ensure that all of the young women who are receiving the vaccine got three doses, how do you handle the logistics of ensuring that uh, you're giving people multiple doses mm -hmm. uh, properly spaced, tracking it? So it was actually in some ways very similar to a lot of the consulting work that I had done at McKinsey, except uh, I was obviously much more on my own and uh, operating in a totally different context. But it was really fascinating. And I, I loved the people that I worked with. I loved being able to work on obviously a, a very big, meaty, interesting problem. Um, but I also missed, I missed being in the US and I did you know, I, I still ran into some of the same challenges of uh, working with governments or large nonprofits right. that I, I felt like I'd encountered earlier in my career. And that's part of what um, inspired me to come back to the U.S. And, and get into tech, which, you know, again, at the time, I'm sure made no sense to the people around me. But um, I just felt like uh, I needed to sort of follow my heart or my gut or whatever it is that you want to call it, my instincts about mm -hmm. um you know, what move was next. And I, I don't really regret any of my moves, but um, I learned something different from each each one of them, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. And when you say get involved in tech, it sounds like you went out to Silicon Valley and tried to find a job as a coder. What do you mean? No, I, I moved back to New York. And um, when I first moved back, I was still doing some remote work for the Clinton Health Access Initiative. And um, I started just meeting with and talking to interesting people that I knew. And there were a few women that I had worked with at McKinsey. They were all still at McKinsey. And in spring of that year, we had all talked about, um, wouldn't it be great to create an online platform for women who care just as much about uh, you know, acing their career as they did about what trends were in for fall? And at the time, you know, it didn't feel like there was a lot of media that was targeting, um, you know, early career professional women right. with very actionable tactical career tips. Right. And so we all got back together in late 2010 and we said, well, 
why don't we just start something? We all had other jobs. Again, I was, I was still working for the nonprofit, but we said, why don't we start working on something in our nights and weekends and we'll see what happens. And so we all put a little money in, we all um, you know, split up the different roles and responsibilities. And within about uh, two months or so, we had launched a website called PYP Media. And the four of us ran that for about uh, 10 months. And then we ended up, I won't go into all the details, but we ended yeah. up having a pretty painful falling out. Wow. And out of the sort of ashes of that company, right. the muse was born. Um, okay. And so my co-founder, Alex, was one of the other women that I worked okay. with on that first thing. And so the two of us sort of came out of that with this very clear vision for a gap in the market, this deep passion for helping people navigate their careers, and um, with some, you know, sort of well, uh, well-earned scars about how to build a startup. And so we launched The Muse in September of 2011 with a third woman named Melissa, who had actually been the first employee of the previous uh, project. And okay. um, and it was, you know, it was a sort of, in in many ways, it ended up being um, such a phenomenal thing to have to start over because mm -hmm. um, we were able to really start the muse with a lot more clarity and conviction, I think, than we had the first time around. Oh, that's so interesting. And is that because you understood the startup landscape better or because this you think this idea was really buried in that first idea, but not excavated? You know, it was both. Uh, the The it was definitely the idea for the muse definitely came out of some of the lessons that we learned mm -hmm. in that first project. Mm -hmm. um, we also were much more savvy about how to start and build a business. We were more savvy mm -hmm. about how to create a website, how to mm -hmm. attract a user base. You know, the mm -hmm. muse had 20,000 people use it in the first month, 26,000 in the second month you know, 65,000 in the third, that oh was, Lord. I want to say it was part luck, but it was part mm -hmm. building on lessons from the first company, which took almost 10 months to get to 20,000 users. And I think also uh -huh. as co-founders, um, Alex and Melissa and I had learned a lot about how to um, have the hard conversations early, how to make sure you're working with people where you share values and you share mm -hmm. ethics and you agree on the hard stuff because we mm -hmm. didn't have that in the first company and it led to some, you know, mm -hmm. it led to some really difficult things. But I think it also, um, it made us much smarter the second go round about who we chose to work with and how we chose to build and, and sort of invest in those relationships. So talk a little bit about the Muse now and what it is since these um, listeners are 40 plus and they are looking at reinventing themselves. And you said today you have about a third of your users are 36 plus, age 36 mm -hmm. plus, that's right. So what is out there for women? A lot of women when they reach that age, they're feeling mostly when they get into the 50s sort of area, but starting in the 40s, I hear it, they're feeling already marginalized. They're feeling that, uh oh, you know, I have a big salary and other people don't. And if there comes to a downsizing, it's going to be me. And they're not necessarily feeling as secure as they should feel um, in their 40s in this workforce, though you would think they would. And what do you see out there? And what does your site provide for that kind of consumer? Yeah. So, the Muse was started to help people research companies and careers. Right. And so um, initially, 
we really focused on people in the beginning of their career, but we've been around for seven years now. And as the Muse has grown, we found that so many of our most passionate and engaged users are in this more you know, experienced phase of their life where they they do know a ton about you know their their function their role they're often you know very experienced uh, very sought after and yet um given how unpredictable the yeah. sort of economy is writ large as well as you know right. individual companies can be i think everyone these days has to reinvent themselves in some way and everyone has to keep abreast of what are the latest things to know about my career, my industry, uh, my role. And so on The Muse, we do a few different things. We have a tremendous amount of career content. Um, so we bring in experts from across, uh, you know, again, across different industries, different backgrounds, and they cover everything from, you know, basics like how do you put together a great cover letter to uh, when are emoji appropriate in workplace emails <laughs> to you know how do you how do you deal if a coworker is jealous of you uh -huh. or um, you know tactics for um, coping with a micromanager in your mm -hmm. on your team mm -hmm. um, a lot of different uh, topics that frankly uh, you know are just the building blocks of um, sort of getting along and making it work in the mm -hmm. modern workplace mm -hmm. and then on top of that um, for people that are actively job searching, mm -hmm. the Muse offers a very visual, immersive experience where you can see inside the offices of different companies. You can hear from their employees talking about, you know, what is it like to work there? What are the values and the the experience of the organization? Because, frankly, we're a big believer that there are so many different types of companies out there, and that mm -hmm. rather than labeling some good or bad, it's much more interesting mm. to give people the information to decide for themselves what's a good fit. And then finally, right. we offer career coaching and one-to-one um, -one services for people who want to, you know, speak with someone directly about everything from leadership and public speaking, negotiating salaries, raises, offers, um, putting together a resume that really reflects the, you know, depth and breadth of their experience, et cetera. So it's really, it's, it's the sort mm -hmm. of everything you need for your career. Mm -hmm. And then obviously on the other side, we've got hundreds of employers that we work with to help them attract great talent um, and really tell a story about, you know, genuinely what do their employees think about what it's like to work there? Not mm -hmm. sort of shiny, everything's perfect story, but mm -hmm. you know, who are the people who love your organization? What are the things that uh, are really good and how do you attract people who want those things specifically? Mm -hmm. Do you see any um, discussions of intergenerational workforces or issues there or anything to do with the older consumer, the older worker, what she needs to know or what she should stay up on or do you tap into that at all? We do. Um, I know that we've actually been discussing internally whether um, the future of the muse is to have all of these different um, themes under one roof or mm -hmm. whether we want to pull out um, certain threads or topics into you know, a specific editorial vertical. Because mm. we've seen some of the highest engagement, especially on social, um, around some of our conversations, discussions, and content that touches on things like um, you know, intergenerational uh, workplace relationships oh, really? and communication. We had a we had an article called uh, it was about job searching over fifty 
that oh, went really? absolutely viral because frankly, huh. you know, a lot of people out there are dealing with age discrimination. That's um, one of our biggest also, Yep. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a huge issue, frankly, especially in tech. I think that there's a lot yes. of reckoning that needs to happen in the industry. Yep. And I yep. think often for women, they, um, you know, they get the double brunt because, yep. um, you know, a lot of studies have shown that uh, sexism can become more intense uh, when someone is perceived either as too young or as too old. And, uh, you know, as, as I think we could joke, like, there, it's not even clear if there is a sort of Goldilocks just right moment in the middle. Um, right. So we we have seen a lot of interest and uh, sort of very passionate discussion around these topics because I think they are just they're affecting so many of us. Yep. And they and they affect the young people too because they don't often know what the value is of the older worker there and I think there's some miscommunication sometimes. Yes, there are some tired workers that, you know, need to move on or whatever. Um just as there are some millennials who, you know, are just checking the boxes, but not all those sort of stereotypes apply. And I think um, we need to dig out those stereotypes and sort of explode them. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about, because you did mention to me that being too young, you want to be, you want to be perceived as older. You're 33, I see. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So Talk a little bit about how you get age discrimination the other direction, because I think a lot of my listeners will understand it, that it's hard no matter how old you are, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something that I have thought uh, a lot about in tech, because firstly, when I started my company, I started attending events for technology founders. And it was not unusual for me to be one of only three women in a room right. of 50 to 100 men. Wow. Um, and I think on top of that, there are so many different um, sort of, you know, intersectional threads that can make it even more difficult. I've, I've talked to many friends of mine who are older women who've talked about being, you know, treated as invisible yes. by uh, some of the founders in the room. You know, I used to be treated more as a possible uh, girlfriend or flirting yeah, target yeah, than a founder. Yeah. And so it's been, you know, it's, it's been interesting. Um, I think that I did notice a shift once, um, once I turned 30 in being taken a little bit more seriously as a founder, mm. because when I started my business, um, when I was in my mid to late twenties, uh, it was almost seen as a project or, you know, an oh. after school extracurricular by some of the people that I interacted with. Now, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly I'm happy with my age, but I do tend to look a bit young. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny, because I think in a lot of other careers, you know, people will always tease me like, Oh, you know, of course, people always, you know, women always want to look younger. But in terms of being uh, taken seriously and given professional credibility, there are mm -hmm. certainly times when um, I find it's useful to, uh, to be taken a little bit older instead. That's interesting because that project thing is so interesting. I have to think about what this means because there's a lot of, you're saying a lot of the same stuff that we see over 50. They, that's what they also do is they marginalize whatever business you've launched as your project because mm -hmm. now you're too old to be relevant. So you must have just a project that you're, you know, a vanity project you're working on. Isn't yeah, that I actually think that people should, I think people should ban the word project, unless oh, like it's literally that. a side adjunct to your main job. Right. Um, 
you know, I, I, I do find it's one of the most subtly infuriating comments that someone can make yeah. to characterize uh, a woman's profession, work, or, you know, company slash initiative as a project. Um, and granted, nothing against project. I referred to my earlier first company as a project earlier because it did start out as a project. We all had other jobs. Uh-huh. And to some extent, I was also deliberately minimizing its seriousness because we didn't really know what we were doing and we were kind of figuring things out. Right. When I started the news, we started a company and, uh, you know, for years up until past when we had a million dollars in annual revenue and 22 employees, um, you know, there were a number of uh, men who would refer to it as my project. And I, I just like seethed every single time. A million dollars in revenue. It was a project. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. Yeah. You know, Ugh. it's, um, I think that, uh, there's still a number of people who are having to learn that the the world is changing and they need to sort of step aside and make room for, um, you know, this new generation of, um, of people, men and women, but of all ages that are starting businesses that maybe don't always look exactly like the classic Silicon Valley ideal. Mm-hmm. And are you primarily women that's primarily for women or do you find mostly it's women on your site? We have a pretty even mix, uh, interestingly. Mm -hmm. So our community today is about 55% female, 45% male. Um, We have 75 million people use the company, use the Muse annually. So it's a pretty large sample size. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting if you look at the gender splits of most social media networks, Mm -hmm. nearly all of them are around 55% female, uh, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, except for LinkedIn, which is the other way. It's about 55% male. Oh. And historically, recruitment and job search platforms have been much more male dominated. Again, it sort of makes sense, unfortunately, right. uh, because of the history of, of work in the US. But I think because we spoke to our community in a different way, we've built a platform that is very much uh, celebrating a wide variety of different forms of work, uh, ways of working. And when we started the Muse, we were especially targeting women, um, women professionals. It just turned out that as we grew, firstly, a lot of men loved the site, used the site and, you know, and, and asked to be part of the community. And mm-hmm. also if we were going to spark these really interesting conversations about, um, you know, gender issues in the workplace, uh, work-life balance, parenting, being able to express emotion in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. We didn't just want that to be women talking to each other. Good we point. wanted to have men as part of that conversation so we could all change things. And so we formally made the site uh, sort of open to all genders in 2012. Um, and we've been very proudly so ever since. Although, you know, I will absolutely say everything that we do uh, is with a focus towards equality and inclusion. Inclusion, um, and mm-hmm. so we are very, uh, we're very thoughtful about uh, both gender, but also, uh, you know, race, sexual orientation, etc. Um, we try to be very thoughtful about how we build the community, the platform, how we talk to our users, um, because I think that the the workplace of the future is one that involves all of us. Hmm. Yeah. No. And and we're all going to need to work longer because it's more expensive, and we're living later. So I think that's. I mean, as life expectancy continues to grow, which is a great thing, it's uh, it you have to support yourself. 
Mm -hmm. How are you going to do that? That's the big question. So anything in particular that you have on the cider that um, you're going to be doing about sort of getting back in or reinventing? Do you talk about reinvention in particular? We do. We do. Although we usually talk about it in the language of career change. Okay. So we have a, uh, a major theme across the muse is advice, content, and discussion for people who are executing a major career change. It's something that, again, we just see across so, so many of our um, of our users because right. frankly, you know, nobody has one career these days anymore. That's right. But the the type of change um, can be as uh, you know, it can be as simple as moving between sort of slightly related jobs or industries or as intense as, uh, you know, a, a sort of huge uh, industry and function and role change all at the same time. So if you go to themuse.com in our advice section, um, under the career paths tab, we have a section for career changes. Um, but actually looking at the site, we should probably make it a little bit easier to find um, <laughs> little because it, it is a growing need. And, you know, within that, we have uh, discussions around, you know, people who are stuck in a rut can mm -hmm. ask and answer each other's questions for getting out of it. We have a lot of, um, you know, templates you can download, um, suggestions for how to tap your network, and just exercises for thinking through um, what is it that you want out of a career change, and mm -hmm. then how do you execute it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking now, there's, you know, ask a career coach, how do I get companies to consider my non-traditional background? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I take one resume and uh, sort of tailor it for five different industries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anyway, I could go on, but sure. um, we try and, you know, tap our community for the questions they're asking and then find sort of thoughtful, credible sources to help answer those. So as we close, Catherine, any tips and tricks, books, resources, anything that if a woman is, I generally have women, though men are welcome to listen, um, is trying to reinvent herself. Where does one go? Obviously, they can go to that part of your site. But are there any inspirational podcasts? Are there things that you listened to or found when you were reinventing yourself so many different times that is helpful? Um, so two of the books that I've loved, uh, one is, uh, well, anything by Brene Brown. Oh, um, okay. Daring Greatly is my favorite okay. uh, on vulnerability and openness. But um, she has written so many phenomenal books about um, really just sort of owning and stepping into your, um, you know, your, your, your true self. Um, I've loved uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, which really, I mean, in some ways, that's more of a book uh, about how do you convince people. But I do think for, for career changers or for people who are thinking about reinventing, really understanding and articulating why they're doing it can be incredibly powerful for the people around them. Um, and then finally, and this is more of a, of a general tip, but mm -hmm. you know, every industry has its own lingo, its own minor celebrities, its own lexicon. And I do think that one of the most helpful things that someone can do when they're looking to reinvent or move in a different direction is to subscribe to a couple of different newsletters, uh, podcasts, just kind of consume the media of your desired industry. So you mm. start to pick up on those words, those stories, mm. um, the things that, 
you know, everybody loves or everybody hates. It doesn't mean that you should Mm -hmm. go along with the crowd, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. knowing what the norms are will allow you to, uh, to acquiesce or to violate them in more thoughtful and strategic (laughs) ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be really helpful in also allowing uh, other people to see you as an insider of that industry, even if you're just moving into it versus someone who's still on the outside, still learning the vocab, the the mm. language, the the rules of the trade. Mm, I love that. That's great. I would never have thought of that, but that's great. It's, like, it's a different way to do your research. I love that. And exactly. that's true. And it comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. And today you can reach all of that stuff really easily. And I I totally believe that anybody with, you know, a mindset um, today with what you can reach on the internet and within a week, you can become a fairly good expert on almost anything. If you just dedicate your 40, 40 hours a week to it, you'll, you'll learn an awful lot and it'll make you sound more like an insider. You're absolutely right. So Catherine, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy life. I'm so thrilled that you had a chance to talk to me and your tips are wonderful and what a fabulous reinvention story and (laughs) i'm betting that there's going to be more reinvention in your future as well too because you don't sound like the kind of person who's going to just sit here and do this great amazing thing i'm i'm guessing there will be more down the road and i'm looking forward to hearing that as well oh well thank you i was going to say we've got lots of um lots of pretty interesting stuff ahead at the muse and and you know there's there's a big world out there with lots of problems to solve so i think i'm excited to just always spend time meeting and talking to other people who are thinking about the same thing so thank you so much for having me on thank you take care take care I want to thank you all for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I hope that you enjoyed this show. I thought it was really interesting to learn about how people actually get these big businesses up and running. And maybe their first one, as you see with Catherine, isn't the successful thing. Sometimes it's the second one. And you can learn a lot from that first one and that you can use in your second enterprise. And if you like Reinvent Yourself, I hope that you will rate us, give us a few stars, and that will help other people find us. Also, tell your friends and subscribe so that we get a larger group of people listening and being inspired. Also, if you know of anybody who's a fabulous reinventor who I should interview, I am always open to hearing about who they are. And you can reach me at L-E-S-L-E-Y at coveyclub.com and I would love to hear any of your thoughts about the site and and about Covey Club itself and I'm always open to ideas always open to great reinvention stories if you have one send it to me thank you for listening and see you at the next episode